is the stories that we tell each other bind us together. They bind all our experiences together. So it's the it's probably the most important thing we do that separates us from you know any other mammal or any other animal on earth is is the idea that first of all that we know that we are going to die someday. That's one. And the second thing is is that we actively share stories with each other. Uh, and I always, you know, I like the joke. It's not mine, but it said, well, if you've, if you've ever gone out on a date or if you've ever been married, then you have the ability to tell a story. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. Welcome, storytellers. I'm Dan. I'm your host, your guide, your librarian in this journey of story, which is something that I love. I love sharing stories of storytellers who I admire, uh, some over the years that I've been just getting to know along with you. And today is someone that I truly do admire, and I'm so happy to welcome back to the show because he is awesome. Now, before we get into that conversation, a quick nudge, go to the website, thestorytellersnetwork.com for past episodes with other amazing storytellers. There's also links to resources to help you tell a better story, whether you're a storyteller, entrepreneur, whether you're in marketing or sales or whatever you are, let's change the world through story together. So all of that is at thestorytellersnetwork.com. You can also contact me for anything you need. Now for the show. On this episode, I welcome back a previous guest, only the second guest to return to the show. Joe Polizzi first joined me to close out season five, Inspirational Storytellers. He's a business storyteller and a from-the-stage weaver of tales, but now he's added another bullet point to his story, novelist, fiction storyteller. Now look, I listened to Joe's book back when he released it via podcasting, and I was blown away. Truly impressed. I couldn't stop listening. Each new episode was a new chapter in the book, and I just kept going to the next one and didn't want to stop. The Will to Die is a suspenseful mystery based on an everyday person solving the murder of his own dad. And it's so good. So it's time for me to shut up and let Joe tell his story. Joe Polizzi, welcome back to the Storytellers Network. Well, thank you, Dan. I'm, uh, I'm honored that you'd have me back. That means the first time wasn't horrible or didn't no, suck just, so bad. Just, it was amazing. <laughs> I've only, it's funny because I've only had, you're only my second guest to return. Um, and I don't feel like I need to have a bunch of guests, but things have changed for you where I'm like, I got to have Joe back on. So I'm excited. Well, yes, it's, it's, it always seems like I get into a real groove, something I'm good at. And then I'm like, okay, let's change everything. I want to do something completely different, which a, a lot of people true, aren't, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do that. So I'm, I'm lucky right. that I can. A true entrepreneur, blow it up and start over. <laughs> I like to start things as, and then once they, they're, they're okay and they get moving, I gotta, I gotta do something else. But yeah. At least I realize that. And my wife thankfully realizes that. So <laughs> it's, I think we talked about this on our first conversation. It's good to have a good support group of a partner or somebody t to understand you or at least uh, tolerate you. <laughs> well, she's great. I mean, I don't know if we got into it the last time, but you know, when I started the business in 2007, I had you no know, big ideas and I was executing everything. And 
she was a, you know, she, she was trained as a social worker, but she stayed home with the kids. Kids were really young in 2007, four and six years old. And I was having all kinds of issues. And, and I asked her, I said, can you start doing some of the stuff and, and some of the detailed stuff? Cause she's really good at that. And she started to pick that up and she, she ran operations for content marketing Institute. You know, while I was in, it, it, it enabled me to go out and speak and spread the word about content marketing Mm-hmm. thankfully, because if I was doing the details, Dan, uh, yeah, it would have, it would have <laughs> never been successful ever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I, I understand. That's how my, my family is too. Um, so Joe, when we first talked, uh, you said that you never thought of yourself as a storyteller. Uh, but I think I kind of convinced you back then, um, fast forward now about a year and, and I want, and I want to know if that's changed for you. Do you consider yourself a storyteller more now than you did before because of this novel writing? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it because yeah. it's funny. The first, the previous five books I've authored or um, co-authored, you know, when you, you know, we talked about it, when you said storytelling, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just relating the facts. I'm just out there spreading the word about what I think good marketing is. And then, you know, as we talked about, yeah, I mean, eat, there's, there's, there's a big story arc there and then there's little stories in between. But when I wrote The Will to Die, uh, boy, the, what I had to learn about the art of storytelling, especially character development, which I have never done before. Yeah. It was, it was probably the most challenging thing from a work product standpoint that I've ever done. And so, yeah, to, <laughs> to answer your question, yeah, I guess I would now I, because I got to write another one. I mean, I'm, I want to write, I want to write, uh, you know, the, the, the book two of the Will Pollitt thriller series. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Awesome. Good. Cause I don't feel like I'm done with Will. I feel like there's so much more. There, Will has a lot to share. I love Will because he's so flawed. Uh, <laughs> and, yes. But, but you want to, I mean, and you tell me, you read it. I, I, I wrote the thing, but it, it's, I tried to create a character that you really rooted for with all the faults because the problem that I have with, do you, are you a, a Lee Child fan? Do you like Jack Reacher books? Have you ever read? Um, I haven't read. I'm, I've heard. I'm familiar, but I haven't okay. read them. So Jack Reacher basically is an indestructible human being. He's six foot five, 250 pounds. And if you put him in a room with 20 guys, he'll kill all of them. Hmm. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't really have any faults. He's perfect. And, and I, by the way, I love Lee Child, one of my favorite authors of all time. But I was like, I, th- I think there's an audience out there for people that really want a flawed character that want like a human being, somebody just like all of us that just, just kind of happened into a circumstance where he had to become a hero. So, which, which is why I love Will. He's not, you know, this is a, a mystery, a thriller, a suspense kind of a thing. He has to solve a mystery about why his dad was, he thinks murdered and he figures yeah. it out, but he's not a cop or a detective. He's just an everyday dude, an average guy a marketer for crying out loud. So it really resonated. <laughs> Go figure, right? <laughs> right, right, right. What you know, but yeah, I mean, so, so obviously then that was on purpose. How, how did you do that character development then to get him to be that hero without becoming a superhero as it were? Um, I had a couple, well, first of all, I just started to write. I just, mm-hmm. which is, which is probably the biggest recommendation I can give for anybody looking to write long form content is, Sometimes you, and at least this was my case, I wanted to have everything planned. Like, okay, I've got to do the chapters and I got everything, have everything set and the arc's got to be just like this and here's the story. And I couldn't really figure out 
what's the ending and how does this work and whatever. And finally, I got some really good advice. I was listening to a James Altucher podcast and I can't remember who the guest was. He was talking about writing and he said, my recommendation to anyone that wants to, to tell stories to create content is just do the work. Just every day, write 500 words, 750 words, 1,000 words, and just start writing. And that's what I did, and I broke myself out of whether you want to call it writer's block or not. But whatever the funk I was in, I broke myself out of that. And then once I started to have that, it felt like there was something there. Then I started to scratch. I'm like, okay, who is Will? Like, Will is, you know, he's a, he's, he's got a gambling addiction. Um He's, you know, not really a deadbeat dad, but definitely a horrible husband. You know, those types of things that I'm trying to, to bring out that are just parts of him that didn't, you know, isn't, isn't really part of uh, the story flow, but really important from the character development side so, so that you feel some emotion for this. So, yeah, so, so I would take, I would, I would write in the mornings and then during the day I would scratch out little notes of, who is that character? And I had, you know, J you know, Jack's another character had another thing of Jack's from Texas. You know, he's, he's got this heavy accent. He's a big guy, lost a lot of weight, you know, just tr trying to visualize what that person is to me so that I could, then as I'm typing the next day, that's foremost in my mind because I've made those, those notes the day before. Yeah. So do you, so I kind of picture you having like character cards. Um, I, I've heard it called on TV writing, a show Bible, where like you had this whole backstory of everybody, everything to know about them. Did you kind of have a similar thing when you were writing them, these character cards? I wish I could say that it was uh, a formalized process. It's, <laughs> nah. it's, like, it's like this I'm showing you. It's like scratch. It's like, yeah. it's just, I have papers and papers over here stacked up <laughs> of scratch notes. Yeah, I've got journals. I'm just got, I've got chicken scratch everywhere. And on a couple of these, I've got the character notes that are just my reminders as I go through. And actually they were, re they were really helpful uh, because sometimes, you know, I wrote, this is two years. It took me to write this thing. You forget, yeah. you forget what, you know, what is it? Where's that guy from? Where did he get, how did, you know, what's going on? And you have to sort of remind yourself and writing those things down as you go is, is really, really important. Even with, even with nonfiction, I, I did this. So when I was doing the, uh, the case study on Red Bull. I've done a number of pieces on Red Bull. I really had to work the timeline. Hmm. You know, when did they start the print magazine? They did. They got to the Formula One races. They take the big Heidelberg Press and go there so that they could print the magazines on site. Sort of took off. You know, I, I had to timeline that because if you don't, you, you start creating fake fake news. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which so. in fiction is okay, but not in case studies. So that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so speaking of the difference between those two things, how, how do you see the difference between business writing and this novel fiction writing? Um, well, the character development side is probably, you don't, I mean, on the nonfiction side, I mean, you, you could, you could do it. I've seen books like the go-getter yeah. where it's a, fictionalized nonfiction book, which I love those, by the way, which I, I might want to write one of those someday because I just like the format of it. Mm -hmm. So the character development side for sure. But the, the similarity, and this is what you don't think about, at least I didn't think about before from the nonfiction side is the most important thing for me is you've got, you've, you've got to portray emotion. 
even nonfiction needs to be, an, I mean, because everybody purchases, they make changes based on their emotion. It's not on what's in their brain. It's not a rational decision. It's based on what's in their heart. And when I wrote really Content Inc., so Content Inc. was 2015. Epic Content Marketing was 13. Content Inc. was 2015. And that was for the entrepreneur. And I was like, okay, I really want these entrepreneurs to, to look at business development different. And everywhere I could, I would either myself, my own stories or the stories of my friends or the people I interviewed. And I tried to portray the heartache of the challenge because if somebody picks up content ink, their things aren't probably, they're not, they're not going well. You're, you're not reading a book probably. Right, you're, right. You're, you're probably struggling in some way. Mm -hmm. So I had to say, okay, my audience is struggling. I have to portray that struggle so that they feel that they're in the book. So the same. So then take it to, the will to die, take it to the fiction book. Same thing. I want people to get inside of Will Pollitt, the character, and feel the things that Will is going through. And he's going through some really desperate times. Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint, yes, the same. Um, where I got, where I had the recommendation early in my early drafts of, of fiction was how poor my character development was. And probably still is. It's probably still the area where I really need to work on it. But I had a, a couple of editors just say, Joe, this is terrible. Like this is, I mean, honestly, I, I wrote my friend, Mark, God bless him. I showed him one of my early drafts and he's an English teacher and uh, I showed it to him and he's like, Joe, I love you, man. But this is just this, this terrible. This is, you really have to go work on your character development. Cause I don't feel anything for these people. What are you doing? It's all mixed up. So I had to, had to go back to the, to the drawing board. Thankfully, I got that kind of honest feedback, which I would recommend to anyone before you do anything, you know, get, get somebody else to read that stuff yeah. uh, because you sort of get lost in your own, in your own head. And sometimes what you're creating is not up to snuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I take away from all that empathy, you know, whether, whether you're creating those characters in a fiction story or you're telling the story to an entrepreneur, you've got to exhibit empathy in order to help them to feel. So that's really important. Um, when you, you talk about what's that, <laughs> what you said, I like, yeah. <laughs> that's why, thanks. You, that's why you've been doing it all these years. You're the expert in storytelling. <laughs> sure. I'm just a um, pawn in this game. Yeah. So when you talk about character development, then, you know, I, I can, I think I can feel the difference between bad writing and good writing or better writing. What, like, can you give me some, some kind of tactical idea example of, what was poor character development that you then improved, like from Mark's advice or anything like that? Like, what does that really mean for somebody? Well, I think from what, I think that when you try to force, when you try to force the story, which I, I'm, so let me, I, let me work on this a little bit because I think it's, it's important for what my process was going through. Mm -hmm. And this is why the outline didn't work for me. Because the creative process, at least for me and for a lot of people that I've been reading on, can't do the outline, can't do the, you know, here's what happens, here's what happens, here's what happens, the table of contents. Uh, the way that I work and the way that I've worked in nonfiction or fiction is just get, just, just tell the story that's really important. Just go ahead and do that. Get that down because you all, you know, at least in the fiction process, you've got another 30 to 35 edits after this. And a lot of smart people that need to help you. So don't perfect it as you go. So if you're typing, I mean, I, 
I don't know if you have this problem when you write, Dan, but when I, when I would write blog posts, I'd start typing the first two sentences and then I'd stop and I'd think, okay, I'm going to reread that again. Like, oh, geez, that's the worst thing you can do. Just get it out of your head. Let the story come naturally. It's amazing what happens when you just let that go. So let that go. And I'm typing and having writing, writing. And then when I'm done, I, I need to sit with it, let it go for a while. Then I'll probably review it, but then I need to have somebody else read that at the end of the day. And where I was, the difference between the nonfiction publishing process and the fiction publishing for me, you know, the amount of edits, I mm. pro probably two, three, I would say somewhat minor edits in nonfiction and my nonfiction writing. And a lot of the, the nonfiction writers that are business book writers that I know, they don't go through massive edits. I'll tell you, I have so many versions of the will to die. Uh, it, it, yeah, easily in the thirties, easily wow. in the thirties. And here's the other thing too. And I mean, for those people that don't know how we published it, I published the will to die as a free audiobook, as a podcast yeah. first, there's four edits from that. So really? when that was finished, yeah. So when that was finished, I got that done. I'm still not happy with it. I sent that off to a couple of the people and the last one was a brilliant edit. And I can't believe that I waited. So I found a really, really good editor to take it home. And I sent it to her is the final and I'm like, look, I just want to double check. Just, just take a good read through. I'm sure you'll find nothing. You'll be probably a couple hours. She comes back 40 hours later on this thing. And I'm like, there's no way you spent 40 hours on this editing process. And then I look at the changes and I'm like, oh my God, how did none of the other editors or me catch these things? And a lot of it had to do with just how, where sentences were and, I was going too much into detail on this and shouldn't have. And mm. God, it is, it is such a horrible mm. and wonderful process. That's incredible. <laughs> horrible and wonderful. I like that. It is. It, it's, Oh my God. I'm so happy as, as, you know, as people are, are listening to this one, the everything's been done. It's been published in print and ebook. It's I'm so happy it's done because I can't, I can't go start the next book in the series because I have to finish this launch. Yeah. So now that the launch is finished, I can actually get back to my morning writing ritual. So, sounds exhausting. Um, so <laughs> which like in a good way, but my gosh, I'd be like, I'm done. Um, so I want to unpack a little bit about how you, you just talked about how, how you released it. I loved how you made it a podcast rather than calling it an audio book. It, it became this audio drama which I'm a big fan of audio dramas, uh, shows like uh, Janice Descending, Girl in Space, Wooden Overcoats. Like I love that genre. So for me, The Will to Die was a perfect release. Why did that you do it that way before you released the actual print version? Um, so a couple reasons. Uh, the first most blatant and honest reason is I didn't get one agent to look at anything that I had to, to give them with hmm. the book manuscript. Uh, I had the big, the big fiction writer dream of getting picked up by one of the big five publishing houses and walking into Barnes and Noble and seeing my book. Of course. Uh, I couldn't even get a sniff. I honestly, Dan, I couldn't get a sniff test. Now, okay. maybe I was doing something wrong. I tried a lot of different things. And the best I got was a form letter response from about 25 different agents. And you can't work directly with one of those big publishers. You have to have an agent. It's unlike in, um, in nonfiction, you can work directly, and which I have. I work directly with McGraw-Hill, my publisher. 
They were, it's a great working relationship, no problem, didn't need an agent, fine. So that aside, and I'm like, okay, I tried to think of it like a marketing person. I'm like, okay, well, if I'm a marketing person, how should I do this? I have no name in this industry. What do I do to build an audience? Well, I have to lower all the barriers, lower all the barriers to entry with this thing and give it away for free. And I did a lot of research and I couldn't, I could find some writers that published their work, but they would tease it out. So they would, they would, they would put it out as a podcast. So they already had the book available, but the, they, they used the podcast as a marketing vehicle for people to buy the book right then. But they would send, you know, every week they would send another chapter and that kind of thing. And I'm like, well, what if people want to binge this thing? That sucks. They got to wait. Like nobody wants to wait for that. So that's not, let's not do that. And I'm like, well, what, so how do I build an audience when I have no audience? Well, let's give them something of substance. Let's give them 42 chapters out there. Let's give it to them all at once and let, just let it go and see what happens and see if we can get this thing to spread. And then if it's worthy, hope, and that's what I was hoping for, hopefully we get enough interest, which we did, thankfully, that I could say, okay, now we can go ahead and publish this for real, which is the one I did through the, all the editing process. So released on December 4th, released the podcast version. And in the fir first week of uh, March, we released everything else, paperback, ebook, hardcover, audible version. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and I'll tell you what, the best thing to do, which I guess a lot of this might not be helpful to a lot of nonfiction writers or blog post people, but I needed reviews. I needed as many reviews as possible from as many people. And when you give your book away for free, you get a lot of people that are willing to review it, read it mm -hmm. and review it or listen to it in this case. Mm -hmm. So my Goodreads profile and Apple iTunes, I was getting all kinds of reviews, good and bad, mostly good, thankfully. And now when I launched the real book, quote, end quote, uh, in March, I already had all these wonderful reviews. So I could put them on the Amazon page. I could send it out in press. Uh, all that stuff really w was super, super helpful. Um, and I think that'd be, that'd be really difficult to do. I mean, it is difficult to do anyways, but it's, it was easier for me to have all the, and I, so now we have a little audience. So all the people that have uh, listened to it, they, a lot of them still want to get it in print. It's a little bit of a different version. So that's great. Um, and I, I, I would, I would probably do the same thing. I might do the same thing again with, with book two because it went so well. Yeah. What, um, <clears throat> excuse me, what kind of, how, what's the difference between getting in your mind as the storyteller, what's the difference between getting edits back professionally and seeing reviews from people who don't have a dog in the fight, so to speak? Like, is it difficult? Is it kind of the same for you? What's. Wow. Uh, that's a really good question. The I'm okay. I'm okay with edit editorial comment. Uh, these people I'm paying to <laughs> edit my stuff and I want harsh reviews. Um, I don't I, see I'm, I'm doing this wrong, Dan, because what I should be doing is I should not be reading my reviews, but unfortunately I, I religiously read reviews. I've, yeah, I've made some bad decisions with re commenting on reviewer stuff. Um, and I think we talked about that in the last episode, but, uh, so I, I'm not good with it. 
and, and the thing is, it's almost like having a, a good stock and a bad stock. It's like, oh yeah, the, the stock is going up. This is great. But when the stock drops, you really feel horrible. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my money and this is terrible. Like in gambling, right? You know, if you win, I won a hundred bucks, but if you lose a hundred bucks, it's much worse. It's the right. same thing uh, with reviews. So I got, you know, I got a couple one and two star reviews or I get, I get a glowing, this has happened. Amazon and Goodreads top reviewer, they will go ahead and give me what, what reads to be a glowing review. I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. Three stars. I'm like, three stars? How can you just talk it up like it's the best thing ever? You give me three stars. Three <laughs> stars is like I got up this morning and had an okay day. That's right. what three stars is. So <laughs> yeah. So I'm not I'm not good at it. If I would recommend everyone out there, don't read the reviews, but I I do and it's it's terrible. It's just horrible. <laughs> don't follow your own advice, dude. <laughs> exactly. Right. Do as I say, not as I do. That's what I tell my kids. That's, you know, I grew up hearing the same thing. I'm starting to say the same thing to my kids now. Um, <laughs> well, and I, and I, you know, so as, as, a, as a writer, creator, storyteller person myself, I even find getting editorial comment is sometimes difficult because I pour my heart and soul into it, but I have to realize that they're helping me make it better because I don't have all the answers. I'm not, I'm far from perfect, um, but even that's difficult. So I can't even imagine having reviews come in from just unsolicited. I mean, I guess you're soliciting for reviews, but like, who are you to review my book? Shut up. <laughs> yes. It's like, do you go out and write one? See how hard it, yeah. Right, it's not, right. It's not that easy. It's like, yeah. and I love the ones that, uh, I got one, uh, The Will to Die, that just said, uh, I was bored and gave up. I'm like, <laughs> what? I was like, did you, here's the thing. So you were bored and gave up, but you had the initiative then to go and give me a review like right. that. Mm-hmm. Now, luckily, yeah. Luckily, we've, I'm blessed with all kinds of, of wonderful reviews on it. But yeah. Uh, but I should say this. You talked about the editor's comments. When I, when I told you, Mark, who reviewed my first draft, mm-hmm. this was in January of 2018. Mm-hmm. And I got that. I didn't start writing again until September. It was, it was very hard. I didn't know where, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know, how do I start this thing again? And that's when, because I was told by a few people that, oh, write out your chapters and figure out the arc and all that stuff. And which I'm not good at, as you know, I'm not a storyteller, as you know. And, uh, <laughs> sure, sure. and, and then I got that advice of just get up every day and write 500 words. And, and the first ones are going to be hor- horrible, which they were terrible. But then I would say after about a week, I started to find a groove. And the greatest feeling in the world is when you go, and I, my office is upstairs at the house, and you go, I go upstairs, and I would generally start writing after the kids go to school. So they go to school like 7.15, 7.30. And then I would spend my next hour and write and just sit there. And that's I'm not checking email. All I'm doing is writing. And when you come out of that four hours later, sometimes you have no idea where the time went and you realize you just wrote 3,000, 5,000 words. There's no greater feeling like, oh my God, I can't believe that. I did. And the, and the greatest thing is when you just let that happen from a storytelling standpoint, I would come downstairs. I was like, oh my God, Pam, my wife, Pam, you, you never believe what Will did today. <laughs> And she says, what do you mean you never believed? Did you not, didn't you know? I said, no, I had no clue he was going to do that. (laughs) She's like, you're crazy. I'm like, no, that's the way it works. You just don't know. You just can't anticipate some of these things. 
Isn't that cool? I remember reading Stephen King's on writing way oh, back great in the day. Book. Great Same book. kind of thing. Like that's how he writes. He's like, I'm just the vehicle for the voices. And I always wanted to strive for that. And I'm, I'm getting there when I write my own small fiction stuff, but I like, yeah, that's amazing. It's that's the most surprising thing. I didn't know. I thought you had to plan everything because that's how I did that. That's how I did the nonfiction books. I planned it. I would take all the, basically I used a, I think we talked about this on the last episode. I use a blog to book strategy for my other books where mm-hmm. I would take all the content that I've created in the last couple of years. And I would say, okay, here's the ones that I think will go in the overall uh, idea of the book. And then I'd have maybe 50, 75% of the, of it done. And then I'd say, okay, what gaps do I need to fill in these things I need to write? Uh, You know, it's a six month, nine month process. If you work it that way, if you're creating content all the time, like I was, I was basically basically writing a couple blog posts every week. So I had a ton of content, Uh, but you can't do that. At least I can't do that on the fiction side. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Um, what do you, so you talked about the, your biggest challenge was character development then, right? Yeah, I would say so. What about on the other side of that? What's been the greatest reward getting this novel out there to the world? Um, besides the fact that people are like, I thought you were a marketing guy. uh, I thought you did events and stuff like, where did this come from? When I, when I see people that I haven't seen for a while and they say, Oh, what you doing? I said, Oh yeah, I just published my, my first novel. They're like, what? Cause everybody's got a novel in their drawer, right? Of course. Everybody, all writers, they got, you know, you got stories. So this is when we actually did it, actually published it. That's probably the thing though, that, that I'm most proud of is from when my, so I wrote the book, really for my wife, because I always wanted her, I think you know this, I always wanted her to read something that I wrote because she never read any of my other books, except for the acknowledgements page. She wanted to make sure she was in the acknowledgements. That's it. She's done. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to write you, honey. I'm going to write you a book that you like because she likes mysteries and thrillers. So she read it the first time in February of... I finished it January 19th, 2019. I finished it and she read it shortly after that. And she, re- she, really liked, she really liked it. And she was like, Joe, I was ready to just sort of say, oh, it's really good. But she said, no, this is really good. Like, awesome. this is better. She said, you know, of course, she's, I'm married to her. But she <laughs> said, I just read this Patterson book and this is 10 times better than Patterson. I'm like, come on, no way. She's like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Because I didn't know what that, I, like I had aspirations to, to send it out into the world, but I didn't know if I had the chops mm-hmm. to do it. So then going through the, then sending it out to editors and going through the publishing process was very meaningful for me and, and to actually have the, the finished work mm-hmm. and to do it when I know that so many of my friends who have written fiction books still have it in their drawer. So I am in awe of anyone that finishes the race. Yeah. Uh, because there's so many people that are, you know, halfway through and you kind of give up and, and life happens, right? You got lots of other things to do. You got to, you got to make money. It's a tough, it's a tough right. job. It's a tough job if you're trying to make money. I'll tell you that. So, yeah. I don't know many fiction writers, novelists that can, that actually make money at it. Well, and, and well, if you look at the ones that made money, what do they do? They consistently deliver another. That's why if I want this thing to work, if I just don't want this to be a one and done, I have to get another book out there a year from now. Yeah. And consistently, I looked at, um, if you go to the front, you know, so I, I mean, 
of course, I, I spy on my favorite author. So if you open up a Lee Child book, he'll, you'll see all of his Jack Reacher books. Once a year, every year for the last 20 years, that man has published, sometimes two, but at least one book every year. Yeah. And you want to know how Lee Child became Lee Child and you want to know how Jack Reacher became the infamous Jack Reacher is because he consistently delivers it. So if you want to know the best marketing for any person writing long form content, it's follow up on it with another book, another blog post, another podcast, whatever you're creating, you've got to consistently deliver. Mm -hmm. Yep. Doing you, you don't just get lucky. You have to do the work. What's, right, there was, I forgot what, um, there's a movie out. I can't remember. It's a pretty popular movie, but where the guy just wrote one book and it became super successful. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that just doesn't look at, look at all the great writers out there. That just yeah. doesn't happen. They just didn't all of a sudden hit big. I mean, even look at JK Rowling, look right. at the, the struggle that she went through, uh, the people, you know, nobody wanted to publish her book. Uh, yeah. and of course it became Harry Potter. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. That's, it's awesome. And now does that signify a shift for you then Joe in what you're doing? Like, are you going to go back to business writing and stay in that world? Are you going to stay in novels? Are you going to have a, a hybrid of the both? What's next for you? Um, I've actually been thinking about doing a second version or a follow-up to either Epic content marketing or content Inc. Just because I hate, I, I'm, I don't like having those old versions out there and they're not updated. Mm. Like I really would like to update. Cause when people like I'll get, I got somebody that tweeted me yesterday said, Oh God, Joe, I'm reading Epic content marketing changed my life. It was awesome. And I'm like, Oh my God, that book is seven years old now. Like I think, <laughs> did I talk about MySpace in that book? I don't even know. I can't remember. <laughs> right. So I would right. like to go back because I don't want to recommend it to people, but you know, I've got to create, you know, 50% new content for that. I mean, I really have to take some time to do that. Now, if I do that, then am I going to be able to write a follow-up to the will to die? I don't know. It's, it's a lot. That's a lot of pieces of emotion and time uh, yeah. spent on it. So I probably would say uh, if I'm going to timeline it right now, which for it probably will never happen, but I would say as soon as, as soon as this whole launch thing is over with the will to die, I'm going to start on book two because I want to publish that by March of 2021, which would be perfect if I could do that, because I got to get rolling then. <laughs> right. Because I'm way behind already. Um, so that one. And then maybe if I've got some updates here and there, some downtime through the editing process, I can start uh, updating one of those two books. I would write another business book in a heartbeat if I felt that there was a need for it. Mm -hmm. Content Inc. and in Epic Content Marketing, I don't feel that there's been another person that's done a book just like that, that's, that's figured out that's the audience and that's what they need. So I still love those two books. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I would like to follow up on it, but it's not as easy as it sounds. That's for sure. Just, you know, a couple edits. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, just a couple edits. I just changed the copyright date and you're done. Right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of business books on uh, marketing in particular focus so much on those platforms. Like you mentioned MySpace and ingest, but truly part of our job is platform. But I feel like uh, your, your books are much more about the lessons and the strategy behind it. So, I mean, you know, 
at least from a from a from what I remember of reading them. It's been a couple of years now, but yeah. you know, that's like I think that's the key in, in a lot of business books is don't focus on just the platforms, bring the strategy and the and the why behind it as well. Um, well, the, that's exactly true. I mean, though, there's a whole the, the reason why some of that stays the test of time. Let's look back at, at Content Inc. There's a whole section in Content Inc. that talks about the platforms, and I have I talk I basically talk and I still talk about it, but they've changed. I talk about the subscriber hierarchy. And I'm like, okay, what's the, the subscribers that you really want at the top are email and print, which by the way, haven't changed at all because you 100%. want that data, you want that direct connection. And then down at the bottom is, I think in, in, the, in Content Inc. in 2015, it was Facebook. It might still be Facebook, probably because you, know, you don't own your audience there. Facebook will do whatever they want to do with the algorithm. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch in there. Like I would have to add TikTok. Yep. TikTok is super important right now with a certain segment of the audience. It's the fastest growing social media platform. Yeah. Well, could, so hopefully if you're reading it, you get the just, Oh, well, this is older. So you got to add TikTok in there. But yeah, right. To totally agree with you. You get the right strategy and still it, it's all about how do I have direct connection with my audience where I'm not beholden to another company to distribute my content, i.e. Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and on and on and on. Still, best best for your dollar is create an email newsletter that people will open and get them to subscribe with permission based email. Mm -hmm. Which I've you know I've taken that lesson from you as well from Ann Handley from Chris Brogan um, for our for the business that I work for Impulse Creative. I started a, a newsletter and encourage people to opt in and it's it's growing and it's very much serving a specific audience with a specific reason. But then there's our personality thrown in. So, you know, thanks to you, the likes of you and Ann and Chris and some others, um, Mitch and Joel, like there's just some, some incredible newsletters out there. It, it, they are not dead. No, <laughs> absolutely. Dead. I would say that there's a resurgence in it, especially not that we need to get too technical on this program, but especially with all the, um, the third party data stuff that's going on. You know, Google Chrome came out with that whole announcement. You've got all these uh, state laws, privacy laws that are going out. Well, this is a, this is boom times right now for people that get permission from their audience to deliver them something on a regular basis. First party data is where it's at. I mean, media companies have known that for years. They just got lost in their business model. But if right. you have, if you have a group of an audience that will open your e-newsletter every week or whatever it is, you can, you can monetize that in a hundred different ways, depending on what your business is. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. Um, so Joe, I think I'd like to think of all of us as storytellers in some way, but I think a lot of people that I talk to don't think of themselves as storytellers or they're like, no, that's just that marketing thing, blah, blah, blah. How, how powerful is story in our everyday lives? Do you think? It's probably the most, I mean, that doesn't, that, isn't that what makes us human beings? I'd like to think we're, so. Yeah, we're, we tell stories. We tell true. And what's interesting is it's so funny that fictional stories are so important. And into you know over thousands of years, we've been telling fictional stories and real stories. And this, the stories that we tell each other bind us together. They bind all our experiences together. So it's, the, it's probably the most important thing we do that separates us from you know, any other mammal any other animal on earth is, is the idea that, first of all, that we know that we are going to die someday. That's one. And the second thing is, is that we actively share stories with each other. Uh, and I always, you know, I like the joke. It's not mine, but it said, well, if you've, if you've ever gone on a date 
or if you've ever been married, then you have the ability to tell a story. So <laughs> it's right. just, <laughs> right? Absolutely. That's, I don't know where I heard that joke from, but it is very, very true. So Absolutely. anybody that doesn't think they're a storyteller, get into, any, you have any conversation with any person, you're, there's some storytelling going on there. And I don't mm -hmm. think people give themselves enough credit. It's the same, it's actually the same thing I talk to people who say they're not in sales. I said, everyone is in sales. Yeah. You're always trying to persuade somebody of something at some time. And that's all it is. You either can say that you're formally persuading somebody or you can, you know, not call it that, not call it persuasion, but that's exactly what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that you, everyone needs to take it down a notch and say, you have to do, you know, and you taught me this too. It's like, you don't have to say that you are a storyteller, but you have to understand that you always tell stories. Mm-hmm. And it really, I mean, it is what connects us. I, I love that. That's what educates us. It's so, it's so powerful. <clears throat> so Joe, before we get to my last question, uh, I want to make sure everybody connects with you again. I'll put some links in the show notes, some new links. I know for like the book and stuff, sure. um, any particular place you want to send people? Oh, uh, so joepolizzi.com, uh, J O E P U L I Z Z I. For those of you that can't spell my Italian last name, <laughs> uh, that's where you get everything about me. You can get my books. You can, uh, I have a, uh, a bi-monthly, newsletter that I send out called the random newsletter that people seem to like. Mm -hmm. um, my speaking events, all that stuff is on there. But the, the new book is The Will to Die. You can get that at thewilltodie.com. And it's available. If you don't want to go to any of those places, it's available at literally every bookstore on the planet. So. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Cool, Joe. So, all right. So on, on your last appearance with me, um, your last story, as I asked you, was uh, what's really important what you, what you know to be true. And maybe some people won't make the same mistakes that you've made over your life. So faith, family, and what's important, like 30 things I've learned. That was kind of your last story that you might leave behind. How has that changed in the last year? If you could have, if you had to stop being that storyteller, would that still be the same story? Would you tell it differently? So would I still tell the, uh, the story, my story differently is what you yeah. talked about. Yeah. What, what would you want to leave behind? Man. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to repeat the same thing that I would say it hasn't changed much. Mm -hmm. But I think what I've been thinking about lately is there's so many people that live their lives. So let's say you're, gonna, you're rating your life, your lives, you're rating your, um, your day as, uh, okay, well, today was a three or a four or today was a six or a seven. I think that most people are living their days almost mediocre. They're just, it's okay. Your highs aren't too high. Your lows aren't too low. You're still there, which is fine. But I know most of the people that I know really well, that's sort of how they live. There. They don't take a lot of chances. Um, so you don't get, you don't get the highs, the high highs, you don't get the low lows. What, hopefully some of the things that if I'm going to teach my let's say I'm going to teach my kids something. I want to teach them that we should be shooting for tens. And if you shoot for tens, you're going to, you're absolutely going to hit the ones. And you if you learn from the ones, you're going to hit more tens. So I guess I would say, cause I, I heard, listen to this. I heard this on a, um, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast the other day. And the guy was just talking about what is your Everest? Like, what is the thing that you want to do that you need to do to change the world? I would challenge everyone with that. That's one of how I'm trying to live my life. Like, what am I really doing? So it's not just about me all the time. 
What am I doing so I can make the world a better place? And I think you have to figure out what that Everest is for you. It's different for everyone. And then go at it um, like today's the, your last day on earth. And if you do that and you fail, you're going to hit some ones, but you're going to hit some tens, but you're not going to hit a lot of fours, fives, and sixes. And that's where I want to get people out of. I, there's too many people just living their life like this is, this is the life that, that I've been written into. No, you're not. You can change right now and do something. So that's what I would like to leave people with. Go out and do your thing. And life is too short. And, you know, make change happen and all the other cliches that you hear out there. But they're <laughs> absolutely true. And that's if I teach my kids anything who are now about to go off to college. That's it. I mean, if the book, maybe the biggest thing, I, my son my son, Adam, my youngest, he said this the other day, cause we were talking about, I was, I was having some issues with the book and he's like, dad, it's like, you wrote a book. I can't believe you did it. You said you were going to write a nonfiction book and you did it. That's amazing. And I'm like to hear that from your son is pretty special. And, and if I taught him that by like, I didn't know anything about writing a fiction story and I went out and did it, learned how to do it, did it anyways, went through the pain of doing it. Anyone can do this. Why not? You know? So that was pretty cool. I love the idea of shooting for tens all the time. Sure. You'll hit your ones, but learn from them. You'll hit more tens. That was, that was good too. You got it. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Man. Thanks man. It. Appreciate the time today. Appreciate you. Keep doing your stuff, man. All right, Joe Polizzi, thank you again so much for joining me on the Storytellers Network. You can connect with Joe at the links in the show notes. They're all down there. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with someone who could benefit from it. Maybe you know someone who has that novel in their drawer or on their hard drive, and this will help them get off the, the, the laurels of just waiting and actually get it done. So share it in social media, send an email, text it to somebody. Let's change the world through story together. And if you want to share your story with me, go to thestorytellersnetwork.com to connect there or email me directly, dan at thestorytellersnetwork.com. All right, thank you for joining me on this journey. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers. Cheers.